0: All right, so happy you guys are here, whether you're watching online or uh, obviously here looking at me. I'm sorry if you wanted somebody else, you get me. Um, We, this morning, are going to be diving into something that we're all searching for. We are all, from the moment that we take our first breath, whether we like it or not, whether we're trying or not, whether we think it or not, we are all searching for our identity. And you might be wondering, well, what, what really do you mean by that? I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to be exploring for the next little bit here. Overall, I would just say, if you just want to give it like a short definition, identity is uh, what we think we are, or others, including God, think we are at the deepest part. Okay, that's a really lame definition. I will expound more as we go. But I'm hoping to make things extremely simple today that if you are here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ because of his grace and by exercise of faith, you have a relationship with him, then you are someone who can say this about your identity. I am who God says I am. Or collectively, since we're preaching to a group here, we are who God says we are. And that becomes extremely important because wherever we go to define the answer, to the question of who am I has far-reaching implications. And and the implications are both good and bad depending on where you're searching to define it. And so at the end, I I just wanna put this bug in your, if you're somebody who likes to know what's coming next, um, if you have uh, a bulletin, I hope you do, if you have a bulletin, there's a little insert there Matt was talking about just briefly. And the the overall goal is we're going to be learning about identity today, but I want you to understand that your identity is never something, like like what Jesus did was never meant to be a blessing that just terminates on you. It's actually supposed to be something that hits you, then it's carried out. It's part of our mission. And so I'm going to encourage you and challenge you to actually put into practice the very things that you learned this morning, right now, in the service. Okay, And part of that means that I want you to be thinking about Um, someone you know, someone who's a part of this church, or maybe they're not, that you want to encourage in their identity in Christ. So start thinking about that as you're sitting here. Who do you know needs encouragement? Maybe they're struggling in sin. Maybe they've been walking through suffering. Maybe things are hard. Think of them and then then be considering how you can encourage them. And I'll give you some more instruction at the end as to what that looks like. But more than anything, just two points that we're going to be making today. Where do we go and what does God say? So in order to understand where we go, to understand who we are or our identity, um, I found this following clip compelling. It's by a famous actor named uh, Jim Carrey, who's very well-known, very accomplished, and has received many awards. By all accounts, he would be someone you would say is successful. So take a look at what he has to say about identity.
1: From the upcoming film, True Crimes, please welcome two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner, Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner... Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this, this terrible search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge.
0: Where is he looking to find out who he is? This is participatory. Where is he looking? In his medals, like in in his achievements. Do you think other people hold some opinion over him? Right? Like other people's opinions of him, do they matter a great deal or a small deal? A great deal. And then it matters how he thinks of himself. And so I would just say this morning that there's probably two different places, and, and I'm sure scripture has more examples, but two different places that we go to define who we are. The first place is others. And I thought, um, if I could, could I have all three Stuber boys come up here? It's been a while since I've used you, so I need you guys to come on up, okay? Um, Which one of you is, like, the most vain? Like, you really care about how you look? Right here, okay, good. So you're going to stand right here, okay? Um, And I'm going to need you to hold this mirror, okay? Thanks, appreciate that. And then you're just going to be right here. Look at these guys' shirts. Don't they look so nice? All right, so let's think about this for a second. The two places that we run to are others or self. And so when we think about that, um, I'm going to name, maybe maybe I'll name you um, parents, right? And then uh, you get to be Instagram, okay? Is that cool? He's all over social media these days. And then uh, I'm going to name you um, just self, Okay. And then, uh, for all intents and purposes, this, this is how this would work out, right? So I'm young, I'm growing up, and I'm aging, and I'm looking around, I'm like, I don't know who I am. And so as you're aging, you're getting to know more of who you are, and you turn to your parents, right? But what if your parent says something like this? Try again. You're pretty lousy. You could have done better. Okay? Um, but then I get older, and my mom says hey, it's okay, you can sign up for Instagram now. Oh, awesome. So I start posting things, and, and and but I notice I only have like 32 followers, and only six people liked the last picture that I posted. And now I'm crumpled and I'm in a mess on the floor because I'm over here and I'm looking to Instagram to tell me, like, who am I? Am I good enough? Do people like me? And I said, well, over here, this guy's just going to hold up this mirror. He's going to be me, right? And so do you guys, some of you may remember this, but like in, in the 90s, there used to be this great little sketch on Saturday Night Live called uh, Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley. And uh, Stuart Smalley, I got a thumbs up from Jeremiah, he knows it. Right? So Stuart Smalley was this guy who suffered terribly with this understanding of uh, just needing to pump himself up, just to inflate himself. And so every morning, he would come into his mirror, right? And he would stand up and he would look in his mirror and he would say, I'm, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like me, right? Now what happens if his mirror is broken like this one? Or maybe his mirror doesn't exist. Or as soon as he leaves and he can't look himself in the eye and tell himself that he's awesome, where is he then? So hopefully I have your attention in terms of where we look for identity. It's real easy for each of us to say, hey, I am who my parents say I am. I am who Instagram or my peers say I am. I am who I say I am. But at the end of the day, how easy is it for each one of these to fail? I mean, super easy. I'll just give you the, the cliff note version, right? Go ahead and sit down, boys. So I would just say, let's, let's think of it this way. If we're looking to others, and others could be everything from, like, parents and accomplishments and husband or wife or boss or whatever it may be, Galatians 1.10 says this. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, Paul was dealing with a church in Galatia that had uh, pretty much softened the gospel message. And had kind of like just not made it as important or as centered. Okay? And when you do that, bad things happen. And so Paul is saying, I'm not compromising who you want me to be because I know who I am in Jesus Christ. So not even for a pat on the back, not even for an attaboy, am I going to soften the truth of the gospel, ever. Because if I do, guess what I'm doing? I'm essentially living for your approval. And guess what? I've just become a slave to it. So if you are somebody who can't survive a day unless you hear someone else tell you that you're awesome or that you did a good job or patted you on the back or liked your picture, guess what? You are now a slave to their opinion. And you need their opinion and their approval to get to where you think you need to be. The problem is that it's a moving target. The problem is that it never sits still, it's always changing. Somebody else is always defining it, there's nothing secure about it. Or what about self? Many of us turn to self and are like, well, you know, positive self image is really all you need. Um, Tell yourself you're awesome. The phrase that, I, that kind of cracks me up that you hear a lot of times in culture and even in music now is self-love. Um, there's this, this phrase that's like, you just need a little bit more self-love. Really? <laughs> I'm p- pretty sure all of us from the time we come out of the womb are awesome at self-love. That's our whole problem. That, that's the, the origination of sin is being awesome at self-love. And so there's this picture here from Jeremiah 17 and, and I just put Jeremiah 17, 9, because if you're familiar with that and you've grown up in the church, you've probably heard, yes, the heart is desperately wicked. Who could understand it? Yeah. But look at what Jeremiah is saying before that. He's dealing with the people who have abandoned God as the central piece of their belief system, of their worship, of their adoration, of everything. And he's saying this in verse 5 of chapter 17. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man. That means others or self. And then he says this, And makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. He's basically saying, are you looking for fulfillment, satisfaction, all those things to come from just like other people or yourself, guess what? You're in for a wild ride, and it's going to be rough and horrible and never fulfilling. It's never actually or ultimately going to get you what you want or need. So the problem with looking to self is that it's relying on feelings or experience, and God gave us emotions for sure. They make wonderful servants horrible masters. And when we rely on those to tell us who we are, we will be devastated from the get-go. Maybe I would just say it this way. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul is writing to a church that is um, struggling with saying, I like Apollos, I like Paul, I like this guy, I like this guy. And he's saying, hey, here's the deal. Um, I want you to understand something. For me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. And you can see in these verses just how simple it is, the approval of man evaluated by you or any human authority or my own judgment, this idea of turning to myself, we ultimately, as, as people who believe in Jesus Christ, if you're here this morning, you have a relationship with him, your ultimate aim is this. And, and hear me, because I, I don't want this to come across as arrogant, but it sounds that way, right? I don't care what you think. I don't care what I think. I care what God thinks. Why? Because you're fickle, I'm fickle, and he's forever. And if we don't get that figured out, we will constantly be treading water. So that's where we go. I'm sure there's a thousand other examples and it's not overly complete. But the next question is this, what does God say? These two questions, where do we go to define it and what does God say in definition of it, are the two most important questions that you're going to wrestle with from the time you come out of the womb till the time that you hit the grave. And it's going to affect everything. It's going to affect how you interact with people. It's going to affect how you um, handle relational strife. It's going to handle, affect Sorry, how you handle critique. All those things. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is writing to a church. And I love Ephesians. If you want an assignment this week, read through Ephesians 1, 3 through 8. Or just all of Ephesians over and over and over again each day. It's only six chapters. won't take you that long. But one of the things I love about Ephesians is that the first three chapters, Paul is just rooting the church in the, in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit given to us. That's what he's doing. And then the, the implications of what that belief means are played out in the last three chapters of Ephesians. So then the question becomes, as we read this, what does God really say about who we are? Ephesians 1, 3-8 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to... To the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So, first and foremost, you are blessed. If you are here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus, you're going to hear me say that over and over again. Because until you humble yourself and you receive the free offer of grace that he earned on the cross for you, this does not mean anything. It's an offer. And it's a whole lifestyle. But he says this, that you are blessed being blessed means that you are highly favored, spoken well of. And in this case, he's saying you are given literally everything you need for the Christian life. In, in everything that Jesus Christ did, all was already accomplished for you. Do you know that? Do you live like that? Do you live in such a way as to say, I have everything I need. Well, Doug, I can't meet this bill. You have Christ, you have everything you need, right? Like, there must be a provision, there must be a lesson, there must be something that God is working at in you. You are blessed, it says, with every spiritual blessing. Second thing it says is that you're chosen. Many of us begin to get a little bit uncomfortable when we hear, like, oh, being chosen and predestined, like, what does that mean? Well, hopefully we can break it down here so that we can understand what the intent is. To be chosen means he saw us before the creation of the world and he wanted us for his own. Think about that for just a minute. That on your most despicable and rotten day, can you can you go with me in your mind right now and just think, do I have, even recently, despicable, rotten days where when I put my head to the pillow at night, I'm like, I whiffed on that one. Right? Like it was a full count and I stepped to the plate and he hung a fat curve across the center and I just swung and missed. Like it's a bad day. Yeah, I think we all do. But just this idea that before the foundation of the world he chose us. Meaning he he wanted to set his love upon us. That means he wants you. You're like, Well, nobody really wants me. I don't get along with my spouse. I God wants you. That should count for everything. Second thing, or the third thing, is that you are holy. Being holy just means set apart for a specific use or purpose. That's it. You're like, well, what's that specific use or purpose? Well, in in Matthew 28... and and Todd mentioned this when he was given his announcement, we have a mission to fulfill, a call upon our lives because we believe in Jesus Christ. If we ignore that, if we actually don't share the gospel with other people and walk in humility before them, invite them into our lives, there's a whole chunk of our life that is missing. You are not holy because you are not around people who aren't. You are holy because he made you holy and put you in and with people who aren't. It's about what he did for you. And then it says that you are blameless. Blameless means that you are without blemish. I love Colossians 1.22 because it aims at this uh, understanding of being without fault in his presence. So maybe just ask yourself this question. Considering your own actions, whether it's your past or your history, or maybe the struggles that you're still facing, and you're thinking, okay... Before God, standing before the holy God of the universe, because of the work of Jesus Christ, he looks at me without a blemish. That's staggering. And you're like, well, if you get too comfortable there, it might get a little dangerous with what you know. If you get comfortable there and recognize that he has made you without blemish, then, guess what? Like, you are somebody who is so humble. I can't achieve this. There's no way I'm without blemish. I know me, right? And you would probably all say the same thing. I know myself pretty well, right? Like, yeah, you're with a lot of blemish, Doug, right? You've got a lot of warts, you've got a lot of problems. We all do. So, to hear that from him is powerful. And then comes this phrase of, in love, he predestined us for adoption. So I, I just want to put this out there like to, to help us grasp this. That love is, is the characteristic of God by which we define everything else. There's, there's no characteristic of his holiness or his judgment that you can't first talk about his love. There's no uh, idea of his mercy or his grace that isn't motivated by his love. You know, John 3.16 is a familiar verse to many of us, right? That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So you talk about sacrifice of God and it's all motivated by love. So when we talk about predestination, we're not talking about God saying you have to make a choice. We're saying that he loved you. He chose you before the foundation of the world because he loved you and he wanted you. And then he said that you're going to be adopted as my son or daughter. That's powerful. That's powerful. We have a number of people in here who out of their own choice have chosen to adopt. That's awesome. Guess what? The child who is adopted, they can either accept and receive that adoption in their heart or not. If they choose not to, it's a hard road. I think any adoptive parent will tell you they've had some heartache. And it's not because the adopted child is somehow, you know, not helpful or damaged goods or something like that that's garbage right it's it's because being adopted having someone place their love upon you and pull you into their family out of great love even before you knew them that's hard to accept it just is and then it says that we are redeemed We're brought into his family as a child of God, and it says that we're redeemed. Redeemed just has this idea that you are bought at the price of Jesus Christ's life. It cost the life of Jesus to get you. He loved you so much, he paid that price. Romans 3.24 points that out very carefully. And then it says that we are forgiven. The nature of our redemption is the forgiveness of our trespasses our trespasses are premeditated, they're calculating, they're also unknowing. But at the end of the day, he comes to us and he says, I'm redeeming you by forgiving your sin. I'm buying you back so that you live a holy and righteous life before me. I'm not just doing it so that I can set my love upon you and nothing about your life or your ministry or how you care for others' changes. I'm doing it because I love you and I want to see you thrive. And you say, okay, now there's tons of other passages that we could go to. Colossians, Tim read from in the worship service earlier. But just tons of other places. I chose this one because it's pretty compact. Now think about this for just a minute. Why in the world does he do it? Why in the world would he do this? Why in the world would he, before the foundation of the world, say, like, like, I want Kirk Hasty for my own like, well, Kirk Hastie doesn't even exist yet. Yeah, guess what? I know he's going to exist. I know when he's going to exist. I know when he's going to be born. I know the span of his life. I know the accomplishments of his life. I know his wife. I know his children. I want him. Like, oh, that's awesome. That means it can't rest at all on my ability to earn or provide a thing because I wasn't even existing yet when he chose to set his love on me. If that's the case, like, man, that's powerful. I mean, think about that. Think about how much we strive and we anger, like we move so much for ourselves. And we're like, I got to earn something. I got to maintain something. And God's like, before you were born, I wanted you. Do you know that? Do you know that in the deepest core of who you are, before you were born, before you messed up, before you got it right, he wanted you. That's identity. That's game changing. That is like life altering. We can never accept something less. We can never do it. But you still say, well, why does he do it? It says so right there in the text. He does it because it's the purpose of his will. There are other translations that actually say it more poignantly. They say that it's in accordance with the pleasure of his will. He wanted to. That's the simple answer. Like He wanted to do it. His arm wasn't twisted. His dad wasn't sitting there saying, now Jesus... You know, you should really love Doug. He's kind of a turd, but give him a shot. You know, like, he, he didn't do that. He wanted to redeem us. He loves you and he likes you, believe it or not. So as we wrap up, the worship team's going to come back up. And, and here's what I want you to do with the remaining time. As the, as the worship team plays the last song, I want you to dream with me. Okay. I want you to dream with me what it would look like if we were a people who called out of other people what God put in, more than we critiqued what comes out. Does that make sense? Instead of critiquing to the nth degree how somebody carries themselves or how they pursue Jesus, what if, what if we were people that instead of judging actually called out the holiness, the blamelessness, the grace, the mercy, the power of Jesus in the life of another individual. Like, what would that mean for the kingdom of God here in Peoria? What would that, what would that mean for the kingdom of God in Tremont or in NCF? That we would actually be people who uplift and encourage in a way that, that marks someone for Christ. So in your bulletin, you have a blank sheet of paper. And the blank sheet of paper um, is just a spot for you to choose somebody to write down their name. You know, like, dear Matt Miller, Matt needs encouragement, right? Like, have you ever seen the life or the job of an elder? It's hard work, right? So I'm partly joking, but not really. But just think about this. What would it mean for you to write a note? Maybe someone you know is struggling to believe that they are forgiven for their deep sins that they've committed. So you're going to write a note of encouragement that talks about their identity that we just preached about. Okay? And then I'm going to actually take it a step further, and I'm going to encourage you to go hand that note to that individual. And you're like, oh, that's a little awkward. Yeah, well, get good at it. Okay? Because if we're believers, we ought to be good at that. And if you're like, well, I don't know if I can do that. Okay, I still gave you an out. Um, here's, <laughs> here's the out. As you're walking toward the all-purpose room, there's, there's envelopes, right? You can fold up your sheet of paper and you can tuck it in the envelope. And then if you just want to put the name of the person on the envelope and put it in the box, we as a church will mail it. No one will know what's coming, right? So you may actually get a note in the mail this week, and it could be from somebody anonymous, but it will be to encourage you in your identity in Christ. I think that's awesome. I think that's actually really useful. And so I want to encourage us to be people who take advantage of this time. If you don't have a pencil, there's some in the back of the pews. I'm sure a mom has a purse full somewhere if you also need a pen. Um, But I want you to really take seriously the opportunity to encourage somebody else in their identity in Christ.